Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 22 through 33. Right then, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. When he sent them away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. Evening came and he was alone. Meanwhile, the boat, fighting a strong headwind, was being battered by the waves and was already far away from land. Very early in the morning, he came to his disciples walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. They were so frightened, they screamed. Just then, Jesus spoke to them, Be encouraged. It is me. Don't be afraid. Peter replied, Lord, if it is you, order me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, You man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? When they got into the boat, the wind had settled down. Then those in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, You must be God's son. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Michael. So many of us remember that uh, at one point of the conversation between Jesus and Peter, Jesus says to Peter, you're going to be the rock upon which I am going to build my church. That's part of the storyline and the narrative between the two of them. But many of us who also read further into the Gospels and watch Peter, we know that Peter's one of these characters that is flawed. He can be ill-tempered, and he can be even impetuous as a person. Some of these flaws come out of Peter. And so you think about it, the foundation upon which Jesus builds the church has a crack in it, his human flaw within it. But what we also know is despite that crack, God still works out God's purposes in and through us, the church, and the people of the church. And so through Peter's life, we're, life, we're taking a, a short little journey to get a glimpse to see how God overcomes the flaws within us, the crack in our foundation for God's purposes. Last week we, we began the story with Peter and, and the faith that Jesus saw in Peter that Peter might not have recognized in himself. We, we know that people see things in us periodically that we don't see in ourselves. And God speaks through that person to us to see how we can participate. To know that every single one of us, we may not realize it, but God can use us. God sees something in every single one of us. This week we're going to look at, at Peter who climbs out of the boat in the middle of a tempest at sea. Right? And if you think about it, one of the dichotomies in life is balancing between faith and chaos. If you think about our lives, the practice sometimes might be that we try to mitigate the chaos in our lives through our faith practices to see if it's realistic for us to, to find physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health through these kinds of life-giving practices to mitigate some of the chaos that's in our world. We want to find ourselves constantly seeking to understand the way in which God desires for us to live in great faith while also dwelling in the midst of some chaos. 
Because I believe that we could all agree on one thing. We live in volatile, chaotic times. Do you agree with that? Would you say amen? If you don't agree with that, i, I got a question for you. What rock are you living under? Right? Number one. And number two, is there space under your rock for me to join you? And I'm sure the rest of you would want to join as well. We'd like to run from a lot of the volatility and the chaos that's in our world. But no, we have to dwell in the middle of it. We know that it is chaotic around us. We also know that this chaos can be captivating. That it can suck up every ounce of our lives and our energy. I was reading on Facebook this week and and someone posted on Facebook this. They said, California is on fire, Oregon is on fire, Montana is on fire, and Canada is on fire. We know that there's massive wildfires going on all over the upper northwest area, right? And then you put in there that Idaho had an earthquake that measured about 5.3. We heard this week also that Mexico had one that was in the 8-point-somethings as well. You put on top of that North Korea, who has recently tested a hydrogen bomb and is now still testing intercontinental ballistic missiles. Hurricane Irma is causing its chaos, and on the heels of it are Jose and Katya, while other people are trying to get past Harvey. So you got four different hurricanes messing around. And then they ended their post with the hashtag, New World Order Out of Chaos. Right? How things are changing around us. You know, the saddest part of this post is that it really doesn't cover everything that's going on in the world around us. It only covers a fraction of the chaos that is intermingled in our lives and our world. And I think one of the aspects of human nature is how we think about these things, how we respond to the chaos that is around us. How are you responding to the chaos in your world? I think for some of us, we fight the chaos, right? We might cuss, we might scream, we might rail against it, we might fight chaos with more chaos in our lives. We believe that we have the power to win, to overcome the chaos that's in our lives and in our worlds, and so we pour our efforts into it. We fight because we believe in the mantra of not going down without a fight, right? So we fight the chaos. If that's you, let me ask you a question. How are you doing at that? Are you winning the war against your chaos? Now, some of us are not fighters. We are, you know the term, lovers, right? You know, Instead of fighting the chaos in our lives, we try to embrace it a little bit more. We might try to hug it out with the chaos in our lives, as they say. We negotiate, we capitulate, we compromise with the chaos and try to order to manage and mitigate some of the effects that it has on us personally or on our family. We try to minimize its impact on us physically, mentally, spiritually. And so for you, if you're cozying up to your chaos, how is that working for you? Are you finding yourself maintaining a level of physical, emotional, and spiritual health in the midst of this? I think for a lot of us, what we do in the chaos in our lives is we try to retreat from it or maybe even deny that it exists in our lives. We live with the chaos, but we try to keep it at arm's distance 
from us, if we don't give it time and attention, then it really won't affect us or impact us. Or if we just deny its existence in our life, if we believe and act like it really isn't there, then it can't have power over us. And that's our way of, of dealing with it. And we might cut off the others in our lives that we think are the source of the chaos. And I wonder how that strategy is working for you. Because beyond completely isolating ourselves from every other person on the planet, we really can't ignore chaos, let alone keep it at bay. If you think about Peter and Jesus for a moment in the midst of the chaos that's described in this scene, you you might think about how they respond to this circumstance, right? Our story today is one that we all probably have heard before. We've read it. We've heard it preached on multiple times. It's something that we might have seen in classical art, the the portraits of Jesus reaching down to the sinking Peter. We're familiar with the disciples being on the water in the middle of the night battling against extremely strong winds. For Mark and for Matthew, the Gospels, this is actually the second time that the disciples find themselves in a boat struggling on the Sea of Galilee. You might remember the first occasion. They were in the middle of a storm. The boat is being tossed back and forth. But Jesus is in the boat with them. And what is he doing? Do you remember? He's asleep. He's sleeping in this boat that's being tossed around. And the disciples are frantic in the midst of this chaos. And they come and they rustle up the master. And they say to him, Do you even care that we are about to perish? And Jesus, according to Mark, says three words. Silence, be still. And if you think about that moment, what is still is not the hearts and minds of the disciples. What is still are the winds and the waves. What listens and heeds his commands. The disciples didn't learn in that moment. And now in this second story, the disciples find themselves in a boat, on a tumultuous sea again. The difference in this story, though, is as Jesus has been dealing with the crowds, he's been healing them, he sat them down and he fed the multitudes with a meal, and at the end of that he is weary from the crowd. So he tells the disciples to go off in the boat, to start to the other side, while he goes up to the mountain and prays, his time alone to restore his own soul. And so he goes up to the mountain, and while he is praying, the disciples are out trying to row across the Sea of Galilee. They are battered by a headwind that is insurmountable for them, and between 3 and 6 a.m., they're so exhausted that they just give up, and they're sitting on the raging sea. It says that Jesus begins to walk out to them. He has seen their plight, and they see this spirit figure coming across the water, And they think it's a ghost, which in their mythology was natural for them. They would proclaim that. That's where the spirits and the ghost dwell, is out on the waters. But then Jesus says, fear not, it is me. And Peter says, if it's really you, command me to come out on the waters to you. Jesus says, come on, go ahead, give it a try, right? And Peter gets out of the boat. And Peter's pretty good at it for about four or five, six steps or whatever. He's keeping his eyes on Jesus, but then he sees the chaos around him, and what happens? Peter begins to sink. Jesus has to reach out to him and grab his hand to rescue him and says to him, you 
who has little faith. And the classical view of this story, I think that many of us are familiar with, is this. And, And what we're taught to believe and understand about this story is that the great act of faith for Peter was following Jesus' invitation to get out of the boat and to attempt to walk across the water, to demonstrate his faith in an activity that many of us would think would be very impetuous, we wouldn't even think of doing. Who, by the way, gets out of a perfectly good boat in the middle of a raging storm, right? None of us would do that, right? But that's what the commentaries focus on as a theological and a practical interpretation of what it means to have great faith. And modern writers like John Ortberg, the preacher, actually picks up on this motif. He has a book by the title, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. The truth that is applicable in the classical view is this. If you get out of the boat and you keep your eyes on Jesus, everything in your life will be fine because your faith will be great in spite of the chaos that's going around you. That's a classical view. Now I'm going to propose to you something that's a little bit different today because as I read through this, something else sparked within me. And I began thinking about this a little bit and and researching and reading about it. I hope it might make sense to you and resonate with you as well when it comes to how we interpret and think about this story and what it means for our daily lives. I think one of our flawed assumptions is that the act of faith was getting out of the boat that getting out of the boat was a good thing. That only by risking getting out of the boat can faith be put to the test. I would disagree with that. I would say that the act of faith, or the lack of faith, was not being able to be completely focused on the one who was walking on the water, the Christ that was coming to be with them. Peter did not need to get out of the boat to demonstrate great faith. He could have spent sitting in the boat, focusing on the Christ that was coming to be present with him. I would propose to you that walking on the water isn't the miracle. Being able to completely center yourself and focus on the life-giving Christ is the miracle of this story. And no matter what's going on around us, to realize, to live into the powerful and all-encompassing presence of Jesus Christ, that could be the real miracle for you and for me. Because Jesus wanted all of the disciples, not just Peter. He wanted all of the disciples to know the powerful faith realization that the Prince of Heaven and Earth was with them and always would be with them, even in the midst of the chaos around them even when they felt at their weakest and their most vulnerable. But Peter and the others had little faith because they were unable to focus on the life-saving reality and presence of Jesus. They gave in to the vulnerability that they had to their chaos. And I think that can be true for many of us. We find ourselves so focused on the chaos that we are living with And it causes us to miss out on the living, life-giving presence of the Christ who still remains with us and in us. And that's why the foundation of the church is still cracked. Chaos distracts many of us. Chaos takes up center stage in some of our lives. 
Chaos takes up our time, our energy, our resources. It robs us of the complete life-giving presence of Jesus because we let chaos in. We let it have too much power. Now, can we be blind to the chaos of the world around us? I would say to you, no. But focusing on chaos does give it great power in our lives. It's a power that can affect us emotionally. It's a power that can drain us physically. It's the power that can usurp our spiritual base. So how do we navigate chaos in a way that's healthy for us? Spiritually, physically, emotionally. What are some of the best practices for us to develop in our journey in our life? I would say the first thing that we probably need to do is get an eye checkup. Did you hear that? No? Get an eye checkup. Eye checkup, right? So the question is, what are you gazing upon in your life? What are you looking at? What are you focusing on in your life? Are you completely focused on Jesus Christ? If your vision is wandering, do you find yourself sinking? Is your faith weakened? Is the chaos continually at you, robbing you of these aspects of your life? What are you focused on? Maybe we need to do some daily eye exercises like reading scripture and understanding the story of God and how God has been present and continues to be present with each and every one of us. Maybe we need to read some great authors, devotional kinds of writings that will also inspire and build up our faith. To find ourselves in prayer, to read the prayers of others as well and to make them be our prayers, to have these daily exercises that promote a healthy eyesight, that help us keep our eyes focused on the Savior, to keep our eyes focused on the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Maybe we need to get an eye checkup. And, and second, I would say to you is, is maybe we need to stay in the boat. All right? Well, let me put it this way. The boat is representative of your community of faith the people that are here, that are around you. It is the place where God is present with every single one of us, but also present through every single one of us. It's the place where God's people are present for you, and you can be present for others, where you can find the love and the comfort and the nurture you might need, and the vulnerability, the opportunity to be vulnerable, while also entering others' vulnerabilities as well. So don't get out of the boat. I would say stay in the boat and point others to the opportunity to be in presence with you and with the Savior. At one of my previous appointments, I remember working with a woman who was a highly talented servant of God. And about a year after I left the appointment, she went in for an examination and they discovered that she had a mass that was hidden in her abdomen. It was behind scar tissue that she had there. And in their biopsy, they discovered it was cancerous. And so she went through all the protocols, and she battled it as best she could for about a year, eventually succumbing to the cancer. For, for a few months, her husband and her children kept attending church there, but it became a struggle for them. Several months later, I, I had coffee with the husband, and sitting down and visiting with him, I asked him how things were going, and he said, you know what? We've stopped going to church. And I, and I thought that was curious. And I asked him, why did you stop going to church? And he said, it's because all these wonderful people kept asking me how I was doing. But not a one of them wanted to get in my boat in the middle of my chaos of my life 
and journey with me. They wanted to stay kind of apart from it and just ask, but not really get involved. And he said, I got tired of answering the question of how I was doing in my grief, in my chaos. And so I got out of the boat. And you think about that for a moment. He got out of the boat to the point that he sold his house, took a promotion, and he and his adult kids moved out to the West. And when I think about the power of that story, evidently not enough of us were fixed on Christ in a way that we could be comforting to him in the middle of his chaos, to journey with him in his own boat that was rocking back and forth. And I think the lesson that we need to learn is to stay in the boat together in a way that will help us demonstrate and share the love of God that is manifest in Christ and manifest in Christian community. To take this journey with one another in our vulnerabilities, in our weaknesses, at the point where we hurt the most, to have people who are actually helping us row that are in the boat with us. Because they'll be in the boat with us when we find ourselves in that circumstance. Maybe today it, it starts with some new things for us, some new realizations for us. To realize that in many ways, not, not any of us can handle the chaos that's in our lives, and we can't handle it on our own. And to understand that God is present with us, and that God wants to be present through the people that are around us as well. That God has in mind for us to journey for His purposes and to navigate chaos in a way that demonstrates faith that will deepen our faith. And to keep our eyes fixed on the Christ who teaches us to love one another, to minister to the needs of one another in the world, and to give praise to this God for grace, mercy, and eternal victory over the chaos that is in our world. I guess for me the grand question this morning is, how great is my faith? And maybe that's the grand question for you today. How great is your faith? Is your faith great enough to stay in the boat with the rest of us? Is your faith fixed on Jesus, who is the eternal one, ever present with you and with me? And do your practices, your faith practices, give life and give evidence to a deeper and deepening faith? Or do you find yourself just fixated on the chaos that's around you. Here's what I hope you remember from today, some things to discuss with one another, uh, think about and contemplate for yourself, but to be reminded that we all inhabit a crazy, dysfunctional, chaotic world together, but that we don't have to give it our full attention. To actually think about great faith in God as being focused on the life-giving example named Jesus Christ and how He can empower us to be life-givers as well. And to practice spiritual disciplines and to be highly engaged in this community of faith as evidence of our faith that is growing, our faith that is deepening. And so here's your invitation for today. To first off, think about your own personal disciplines and spiritual practices. And to ask yourself, are these disciplines and practices aiding in the growth and the depth of my faith? Am I growing stronger and greater in my faith in Christ? If not, what do I need to do for me to experience that? And second, to ask yourself this, where are you in the boat? 
Are, are you firmly rooted in it, finding yourself engaged with others, allowing others to engage in your life, even in your chaos? Are you trying to find a secluded part of the boat, maybe to kind of hide out a little bit from others? Or are you even in the process of jumping out of the boat? Where are you in relationship to your community? So gazers, I did not say geezers, by the way. I said gazers, those of you who are looking, right? What are you staring at in life? Are you staring at the chaos that is around you? Or are your eyes fixed upon your Savior, Jesus the Christ? Let us pray. So merciful God, as we come before you in this moment, it is a question that is so central to each one of us that we ask today. Because we know in our world there is some level of chaos, some of it very personal, some of it maybe a little bit more on the peripheral, but they are things that we think about. They are things that we give time and energy to. So often they rob us. They rob us physically, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, we're seeking for a way in which we can inhabit this life, in which we can have great and deep faith in you, in which we can be a part of a community that will nurture and love us and walk with us so that we can battle the chaos that's in our lives. Help us to find ourselves centered in that today. In your powerful presence, help us to keep focused on you as the centerpiece of our lives. Help us to dwell in this community, to allow people to walk and journey with us in ways that will give us new life. But we also ask that you use us to do the same for those around us. That we would be willing to engage in such a way that we might all experience the power of your spirit, the power of your presence, your grace, your mercy that renews today. And we ask this in the name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior.